warm welcome to you if this is your first time and you're visiting. Um, we value the Word of God uh, passionately. We think it is really important that we hear it preached each and every week and that we believe that the Holy Spirit goes out and it changes us. And so my prayer is for you as I've been praying this week is that something from our time together now would just would, would speak to you, would challenge you, would excite you, or would equip you for this week. And so that's my prayer. That's what I've been praying this week for us. So hopefully that will be the case. And you join us in um, the fourth week of our current sermon series. We're looking at um, chronological prayer. We wanted to do something a little bit different than the previous sermon series on prayer, um, which have all been great and, and great, but we wanted to look at how do people in the Old Testament pray at different stages of a movement of God. And when we talk about a movement of God, we, we talk about seeing and experiencing God at work when we're actively praying. We've looked at, um, we, we looked at uh, Abraham and, and Solomon. We looked at what it's like to pray. Oh, sorry. Uh, what it's like to pray uh, before we see God actively answer our prayer in some way. It doesn't always answer how we want to, and sometimes it takes a long time. And we saw with Abraham that, that, that he received some promises from God and that, that they didn't come about for 29 years. And he only saw one little bit of that promise. How did he pray in the midst of that? And if you want to catch up on that, that's on the website if you'd like to, to hear about that. We also looked at Solomon as well, similarly. Last week, we looked at David, that during a movement of God, when, when they're in the midst of it, when maybe we've sinned, or when, as we'll see today with Hezekiah, when, uh, sorry, when, when someone, sorry, we saw with David last week when we've been sinned against. This week, we'll see with Hezekiah when, when we're the sinner how do we pray in the midst of that, in the midst of God moving and working? We see here that God is working. That God is answering Hezekiah's prayer. And how does he pray in the midst of difficulty and mess and struggle? Does God hear us? That's what we're going to look at. And then in the next couple of weeks, we're looking at after a movement of God. How do we look back and see how God has worked and, and moved in a situation, answered our prayer in some way? How do we then pray? What does that look like? And we're going to learn from Hannah and Jonah uh, about that. But this week, I wanted us to, um, to look at this passage because we are so often the causes of our own situations, our own messes, our own sin, our own rebellion against God, the mistakes that we make, the things that we do that cause our own mess. Does God answer our prayers in that situation? Does he hear us? Does he even care? I think as we heard from Tim just then, I think we know the answer to that question is yes. And we're going to see again, just backing that up from Scripture, that the answer is yes, he does. And so I don't know what situation you're in at the moment. I don't know what situation you have been in. I don't know what situation you will be in in the future. But we, are, we do cause our own mess at times in our own sin. And I want us to go away encouraged that, that God is able to work in the midst of that. That that doesn't separate us from him. In fact, he loves us all the more in that mess. So um, what we see here um, is a bit of context because there's quite a few chapters that precede this and, and, and then in other areas in the Bible as well. So there's a bit of context that's needed really to, to understand what's going on here. We see that God's chosen people, the people of Israel, were told, have no other gods, have no other gods other than me. 
And then straight away, what do they do? They take up worshipping other gods, man-made gods, gods that can do nothing. And there's a cycle time and time again. They come back, they repent, they say sorry, and then they go and worship other gods again. And so we're at this time where um, God's people, Israel, the 12 tribes, have been split from uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and to the southern kingdom of Judah. There's two tribes in the, in the southern kingdom of Judah. And what's happened is, due to Israel's sin, God has sent judgment through the form of this Syrian army to come and take them into captivity. And that's what happens. Israel, the ten tribes, are taken into captivity by the Assyrian army. And Hezekiah becomes king, and he's looking on, seeing this happen, and he's like, we're next. And sure enough, the army, the 185,000 people, are on their, on their doorstep, ready to take them. And Hezekiah inherits the kingdom from his dad, Ahaz, a truly evil king, terrible king, the things that he did, leading Israel into uh, Judah into to worship of idols. And yet Hezekiah, who had that upbringing, had something a little bit different about him. We see this in chapter 18. If you turn back a page, it's also on the screen here. But this is what... Um, 2 Kings chapter 18 describes Hezekiah as. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father did, uh, just as his father David had done. David was not his father, but was along the same line. Ahaz was his father. He removed the high places, he smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made, for up to, um, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. See, the first thing that Hezekiah recognized was that there was an enemy within. There was an enemy within. And he tore down the gods that they were worshipping, that the people of Judah were worshipping, the high places, the fertility gods, all the things that they turned to to offer them hope. He tore down, to get them out of their reaches, he knew at the heart of the, of, of, the enemy, uh, of the nation's problem was their idol worship. That was the cause of their mess. That was why God was going to come and bring judgment through the Assyrian army to take them into captivity. And we're in the same position. We heard it from Tim, didn't we? We have idols of our heart, things that we put in God's place. We have to first and foremost recognize that there is an enemy within us. We so often blame other things and circumstance, but actually it's the enemy within that's the biggest problem. It's us having replaced the one true living God with other things on that altar. It could be anything. It could be control. It could be lust. It could be drugs, alcohol, it could be money, it could be power, it could be the approval of others. But they're the things that we see as so important to us that if we don't have them, we're willing to fight for it, to have it. We know it's an idol. We know it's taken that grip of us when we are willing to fight for it and we're sad and devastated when we can't get hold of it. And so I just want to quickly just say to us now, is there an idol that's in your heart at the moment that, that you're not even aware of? Do we spend time even thinking about what's, what's gripping us? What is our focus? What is the most important thing to us? If it's not God, 
then we're going to be truly disappointed and we're going, to be, we're going to end up living in a mess in our lives. Whether it's now or whether it's in six months' time or 12 months' time, it will happen when we put something in, in the place of God, the one true living God. So if you're writing anything down or if, you're good, if you've got a good memory, I want to encourage you this week to think about what is your enemy? Or what, what, is, yeah, what is the enemy within you? What is the idol in your heart that you're grasping at that is more important than anything? Because for Tim, he had to come to a low point, didn't he? And he saw that all those other things in those high places, putting them on, on the pedestal of where God should be, bring misery. The one true living God is the thing that we need to put there. Hezekiah knew it. He knew that the people of Judah needed to tear those things down out of their hearts. And they needed to worship the one true God. But also, we have to recognize that there's an enemy without us as well, outside of us. In chapter 18, in, in, the, in the bit that just comes before, the bit that we read, the king of Assyria taunts the people of Judah through his um, army commander. He's smart. He says, and I'm gonna, I think it's hopefully on the screen, this right? Well, no. In, in verse eight, in, in chapter eighteen, um, he taunts. Um, he taunts the people of Judah. He speaks in their own language in Hebrew, so they understand what's going to happen to them. We're going to come and defeat you. Your God is nothing on us. We're going to win. We are going to put an end to you. How do you think the people were feeling? Terrified. How do you think Hezekiah was feeling? terrified and then God moves he works he answers Hezekiah's prayer the king gets taken away to go and deal with another war somewhere else and yet what does the king do he leaves a letter behind in chapter 19 verses 10 to 13 that we've got on the screen here he leaves a letter behind to give to Hezekiah it says say to Hezekiah the king of Judah do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed to my predecessors deliver them? He lists a load of gods that he's defeated. You see, he's pretty smart. He wants to scare them. He wants them to, to think that God cannot deliver them. And it's the same for us. It's the same for us today, isn't it? We have an enemy without us, outside of us, and that's the devil. The devil is, we believe the devil is real. We believe that he is at work trying to, um, to rob us of any joy that we have in Jesus Christ, God the Father. And he's ruthless. He prowls, we see in the Bible, like a lion waiting to devour us, telling us lies, saying, can you really be delivered from that? Can you really be delivered from that idol? You don't really want to tear that down because it's going to leave you miserable if you do. You don't want to pull out of that relationship that you're in that's unhealthy because you're going to be alone. That's much worse. It says things like, can you really approach a holy God when you spat in his face like you've been doing? 
Can you really approach this God that you say is holy when you've messed up so many time after time after time? He surely doesn't keep uh, accepting you. We know the gospel is that because of Jesus Christ, he does. But the enemy will keep on seeking to tell us otherwise, to rob us of the joy and satisfaction we can have in coming to the one true living God. But we have to be... But in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the storm that you might be in at the moment, you need to know that there is a living, true God that is stronger, more powerful than anything else. We saw it a couple of weeks ago that um, uh, God reveals himself to, um, to Abraham and calls himself the God Almighty, the overpowerer, El Shaddai. Our God is El Shaddai. He's all-powerful. Hearing stories like Tim's testimony that he shared there, the power of God to save him from that. And maybe you're going through something similar. Maybe you're going through something that's completely different to that, but you're in a mess. And you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to do. Can I encourage you that, that our God is El Shaddai. He's all-powerful. He's able to do infinitely more than we can ever imagine. And what does he do in this instance to Hezekiah, to, the, to, to this 185,000 people strong army? What does he do? Destroys it himself. Just himself, the angel of the Lord, 185,000 army strong. But how tempting it is to listen to the enemy that's outside us telling us other things. How tempting it is to hold on to the idols that we hold inside but we have a responsibility in dealing with the enemy that's within us, and that's to repent. Tim was saying, repent. Turn away from our sin and turn to God. Even in our messiness, God will accept you turning to him in that. Whatever your situation may be, it may feel that it's so weighty that you haven't got a clue what to do, and you feel like you're spatting God's face time and time again. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. God will hear you, but come to him and repent. We see this in verses um, uh, 1 to 4 of chapter 19, that how we come to him, and I love this, that we're to come to him in humility and in our distress. That's how we're to come to him. We don't have to get sorted. We don't have to make ourselves right. Look at this. It says, when King Hezekiah heard this, and that's the taunting of the, the army, um, of the Assyrian army, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, the Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. He knows where he's got to go. He knows he's got to go and seek the Lord. He comes with sackcloth. That means that it's a common thing that they did, um, the people of Israel did when uh, repenting for their sin, mourning for their situation. They were in distress. They're in great distress. He likens it to when um, a mother's about to give birth and she has no strength left to give birth. That's how, that's how distressed they were. Distressed by the idolatry of the nation and what the situation they put themselves in by God sending this army to come and take them into captivity. And yet, he humbled himself. I just want to encourage us. Sometimes we just need to humble ourselves and come before the Lord and say, Lord, I can't sort this out. I can't do this. My mess is big. I can't sort it out. I can't handle it. I need your help, God. 
Don't let pride get in the way. We'll see a little bit about Hezekiah later on and his pride, but, but, but humble yourself before the Lord. Maybe you feel like you've got nothing left today. Maybe the enemy within, the enemy without feels so great that it's just pressuring rising you from all angles. Come to him in your sackcloth. Come to him in humble repentance. Lord, I'm in a mess, and you are the only one that can sort it. Maybe you keep falling back into the same thing again and again. Cry out to him. Humble yourself before him. Repent. He will hear you. He will hear you. I was reading Psalms 25, Psalm 25 this week. And in there, uh, David says, that God, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. There's something about coming to him in humility where you're able then to see what he's teaching you. If we come with our pride, we won't be able to see what he's teaching us. But when we humbly come to him, he will teach us and show us a way. He will teach you his ways. Come humbly in the eye of the storm, in the mess maybe that you've caused yourself. God will fight for you in it. He is in it with you. But also we see here that what gives confidence in this situation as well you do it Nathan if that's all right thank you we get to, we can listen to the word of God we can listen to the word of God Hezekiah goes straight to Isaiah the prophet the prophets were the guys that would uh, uh, would speak would hear from God and go and speak God's word to the kings and to God's pe- and to Israel and to the people more often than not, the kings didn't like listening to the prophets because they told them things they didn't want to hear. But this time, Hezekiah goes to Isaiah and receives what God is speaking. Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you've heard. Those words with which the underlings, I love that word, the underlings, of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him return to his own country And there I'll have him cut down with his sword. In the eye of the storm, he prays. He hears from God, from the word of God. What a comfort that would have been to him. Do not be afraid. I will bring you relief. We can choose to listen to ourselves, or we can choose to listen to the word of God and the truth that's in here. Some words that have been really special um, to me, have been Hebrews, four, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. You just put it on the screen, that would be great. Thanks, mate. The word of God in times of trouble, in our mess that we need to hear. And this has just been mind-blowing for me. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Those words that Jesus is able to empathize with us in our mess, because he was fully God, fully man. He was tempted in every single way, and yet he did not sin. But he doesn't pity you in your situation. He has solidarity with you. He knows what it's like to be tempted in every single way, and yet he obeyed. Where we can't obey, he does obey. (coughs) So our Savior, Jesus Christ, understands what we're going through. I think that's important for us to know today that whatever situation you're in, he understands and he knows it. But he did not sin. He chose 
obedience rather than sin. He therefore provides the rescue for us from our sin. He paid the cost on the, on the cross for you and your sin. Whatever you've done, whatever you are doing, whatever you will do, he has paid the cost for you. And that is why we can come to him. We can come to him in our mess and in our problems. And he is there with us, holding our hands, helping us, wanting to pull us and drag us out of that. There's a beautiful book called Gentle and Lowly, uh, written by Dane Ortland. We, we did a sermon series a couple of years ago. We're looking at it. But um, it just looks at the, the, where Jesus, the only words in the Bible where Jesus describes himself are where he says, I'm gentle and lowly. And it kind of unpacks that a little bit more. And it's just, it's just beautiful. And he just talks about how not only does Christ um, put, want to pull us out of the hole of the sin that we're in, but he desires to climb in and bear our burdens in that situation. You may think, what? How can he want to do that? If he knew my life, well, let me tell you now, he knows your life. He knows the sin that you're in. And not only does he want to grab you out of it, he's willing to climb down in it with you to pull you out of it. And then this also blew my mind from the word of God, Hebrews 7. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You are Jesus Christ at this right, at this exact moment now. He is praying for you. How does that make you feel to know that he is interceding for you? Even when you won't intercede for yourself, even when you won't intercede for others, and put my hand up there sometimes, um, he is interceding for you now at this moment. He's praying for you in your situation. He's like, come out of this. I want you to be out of this. Jesus is praying for you right now. We also see in this passage that we are to, if you put it on, please, that would be great. We see that we are to come and lay our fears and doubts before the Lord. We are to come and lay our fears and doubts before the Lord. Hezekiah sought the Lord. God has spoken. He started to move. He's moved the king of Assyria away for this rumor of war. But the king leaves this taunting letter to say, don't, don't think I'm not coming back. I'm coming back. We're, we're going to get you. And what does Hezekiah do in verse 14? He receives that letter from the messengers, reads it, and then he went to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before him. Spread your distress. Spread your sin. Spread how you're feeling out before him. Lay it out before him. Sometimes we can be too British in wanting to hold things ourselves and not wanting share what's going on, not even with God. He knows it already, and he asks us to lay it out before him. What do you need to lay out before him? What doubt or fear do you have at the moment that you need to lay out before him, that you're clinging on to yourself? Lay it out before him, and I encourage you this week, lay it all out before him. And then finally, Remember, remember the power of God, the God that you're praying to. Remember who you're praying to and the power that he has. Verse 15, it says, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib. 
has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian king has laid waste to all these nations and these lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wooden and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. Deliver us. Deliver me, Lord. And maybe that's a prayer you need to say to yourself. Deliver me, Lord, from this mess that I'm in. Deliver me, Lord, from the sin of lust. Deliver me, Lord, from my addiction. Deliver me, Lord, from whatever it may be. Deliver me, Lord, because you are the God. He's not like other gods. You're not made of wood and stone. You are the one true living God. Maybe we're worshipping other gods, self-help books, our own efforts, other people. Those things will be laid waste to, but the one true living God cannot be. And also we see the power of the Almighty God. We read it in, in verse 35 to 37. What does he do? The angel of the Lord puts to death 185,000 people like that. That is our powerful God. He can weigh lace to your enemy. He can weigh lace to your sin. God is so powerful. And I want you to know that he is ferociously committed to you tearing down the idols of your heart, even more so than you are. And it may harm you. It may wound you as he seeks to do that. There may be some pain that comes as you seek to gouge it out. If something's so deep into you, getting it out is not easy, is it? There's pain that comes with it. But no relationship, no addiction, no fear, no doubt, no mess is too big for him to work in. But just to finish with just a little slight word of warning in this. Um, if you go back um, a slide, please, mate. In 2 Chronicles 32, sorry, I've not got it on, on the screen, but there's another, um, you hear a little bit more about Hezekiah and his heart in this and the sort of person he was. Although, um, although in 2 Kings he's described as the best king that there ever was or will be, you see that also even in a king that was very good, there was something going on in his heart as well. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown to him. There was pride in Hezekiah's heart. Even as he was praying to the Lord, there was pride in his heart. And so often there's pride in our heart. And maybe the pride is that God has delivered you from something, but actually was it, oh, was it God? Or maybe it was because I did this and I'm this strong and I was, I'm back on my feet now. Hezekiah invites the Babylonians in after uh, the Assyrians have been defeated and says, oh, come and look at all the wealth that we have. doesn't once mention how God saved them. just shows them the wealth of everything that they have. And then sure enough, what happens? Babylon come and take them into captivity because they don't repent. Let's not think that um, when God has acted and moved that it's us that has done it. Not be fooled to be prideful in any way. Let's give all glory to God in heaven. As Tim was sharing his testimony, all glory to God. We have our bit to do, but it's him ultimately that does it. So just to finish with um, a quote that um, Shane put me onto, which I think is really, really helpful. 
is prayer is not conquering God's reluctance, but taking hold of God's willingness. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the mess that you might be in, it's not about God being reluctant to hear you or to work in your situation, but it's about us taking hold of his willingness and, and knowing that he wants to work in that situation. And so just as we draw our time to the close, just want to give us one minute to maybe just think about what, what do you, do you doubt God is able to work in the mess that you're in at the moment? And if so, maybe from what we've spoken about today, what's one thing you want to go away and dwell upon and reflect upon that will hopefully encourage you that he's able to work and he's willing to work? Let's just reflect for, for one moment and then I'll pray for us. Father, thank you that you um, know what's going on in our lives and you care. And thank you that you want to pull us out of the pit that we are in. And you're willing to get dirty and climb down into it with us. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody here today, including myself, that might be in um, a mess of their own making. I pray that we would know that you are willing to hear us. I pray that you would pull away anything that is um, making us doubt that you would want to hear us. And Lord, I pray that we would humbly come to you in repentance. I pray that we would plead Jesus and know that we can now, because of him, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, Lord, that we um, have... Um, that he has made a way for us. And Lord, that you are at work in wanting to, to carve out any idols that we have in our hearts that have replaced you. That you're eager to um, show us that, that you care. And so Lord, I'm sorry for the times that I have been reluctant to trust that you are able to work in any and all situations. Lord, thank you that you are all-powerful. And we're sorry for when we've looked to other things to try and sustain us, to try and solve our problems. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, that maybe hasn't, um, hasn't come to know you, hasn't come to recognize that you are able to work and to help them, I pray that they would know that you are God, the only true God. I also pray, Lord, that we would um, not uh, be fooled into thinking that there's anything that we can do to, uh, to solve the biggest issue that we have, and that is ultimately overcoming our sin and the penalty that there is for that sin. But thank you that Jesus paid the price for us. 
Lord, I pray that we would leave here um, excited <coughs> by what you're able to do in our lives, expectant. And also, Lord, that we would not be afraid to confess sin to one another. How refreshing it's been to hear just a willingness to, to share our warts and all. And Lord, I encourage us to be people that are able to do that with somebody. We're able to confess anything that is going on in our hearts, Lord, and be able to receive forgiveness for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.